so glad you've joined us on the ERLC podcast to explore how the Bible addresses important cultural issues pertaining to life, religious liberty, marriage and family, and human dignity, and how we can walk in wisdom for God's glory and for the flourishing of our neighbors. If you're enjoying this podcast and find it helpful, please leave a review wherever you listen. This will help more people find and benefit from what we're learning together. We are grateful for the time you take to join us for these conversations. Every parent knows that the work of parenting is good yet hard. The Lord has entrusted every mom and dad and caretaker with the task of shaping and cultivating souls for His glory. But as sinners, we will make mistakes. So at our national conference, Todd Wagner offered encouragement in his talk, Pressing On When You Fail as a Parent. We hope this message brings you renewed hope for your calling. It is a... A great privilege to be invited to a parenting conference, and they tell you the topic they want you to speak on is how to press on when you fail. (laughs) I'm like, uh, what's going on? Do you know something I don't know? Well, hey, they maybe have talked to my kids, because if you're going to parent, you're going to fail. And really, there's two ways to look at this topic. You know, I I really thought about coming out here and just saying, don't worry, you're going to keep screwing up, mom and dad, don't quit. All right? Persevere. You will keep failing. But... um, Really, there's two kinds of failure that you think about when you talk about failure as a parent. Number one, you, you, you fail because you're not the kind of parent you want to be. And two, you sometimes feel like you fail because your kids aren't the kind of kids you want them to be. And so I really wrestled with which one of the two to, to emphasize. I'm maybe going to touch on both. But what I know I want to do is have you turn with me to Mark 8 because both of them have application to us. Now, Mark 8 is a fun chapter because you're going to see Jesus is reviewing. Mark 8 is just two chapters after Mark 6. And if you know the gospel of Mark, you know that in Mark chapter 6, you run into um, 5,000 men and their families, as uh, we typically say. It was more than 5,000 were fed, but 5,000 adult males is typically how they counted the crowds then were together on a hill and they were hungry and they didn't know what to do. The disciples came to Jesus and said, we got to get rid of them. He had compassion on them and he fed them. And when he got done feeding them, there was still 12 baskets full of bread. And then we plow through chapter 7, and we find ourselves in chapter 8, and there's an exciting little bit of uh, review that goes on right here. Now, this should be encouraging to you as a parent, and should be encouraging to you as a follower of Christ. It says, in those days, when there was, again, a large crowd, and they had nothing to eat, Jesus, again, called his disciples and said to them, hey, I feel compassion for the people, because they have remained with me now three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way, and some of them have come from a great distance. Now, this should sound very familiar. We are just one turn of the page away from walking down this teaching road. And so the guys turned around and said, well, where will anyone be able to find enough bread here to eat in this desolate place? And Jesus says, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven. So now they got two more than before, and there's a thousand less people. And if you read through the story, you know that Jesus has to teach them again. The bottom line, the major emphasis, by the way, I think the reason that Jesus keeps hitting and uh, teaching this lesson, the the feeding of the 5,000 
and the resurrection are the only two miracles in all four Gospels. Now, we would all go, hey, the resurrection's a big deal, right? You really need to know about this thing if you're going to be the kind of person who responds to the grace of God and who gets to live in relationship with God. The resurrection, we know, is a big deal. But have you ever stopped to ask yourself, why is the feeding of the 5,000 also in there? And then again, in a couple of the Gospels, the feeding of the 4,000 right after that. Well, let me tell you what's going on here. Again and again, Jesus is teaching his disciples, you don't have what it takes to meet the needs of people, but I do. He tells them to take what he has, he gives thanks to the Father, and then through him, the the grace that is necessary is multiplied, and the people are provided for. But I don't care how strong you are, I don't care what kind of fisherman you are, how many nets of fish you've pulled out, you can't carry enough food to distribute, you know, your one-twelfth of the ten to 15,000 folks that were there. And so you get out there when you finally realize Jesus is giving you something to care for people, you give them everything that you have, and then you're out, and you go, "Uh uh-oh, what do I do? I'm out. The answer is you go back to Jesus. And then you go and you give all that out and you're out again and you go back to Jesus. And what Jesus is driving home in both of these amazing miracles is, hey, what you need for them, you get from me. What you need for them, you get for me. But the disciples were not tracking with this and that's not the ultimate point of what I want to teach you about today. I want to encourage you as you're on the journey of learning to be a disciple of Christ and therefore to be able to parent and care for the flock of God that he's given you as well as to be patient with the flock that God's given you. Is the disciples keep blundering this message. We know that shortly after this is done, the Pharisees come up, they ask for a sign. They get in a boat, they're going to the other side. Jesus, you know, uh, says to them, beware the leaven of the Pharisees. That triggers something in their mind that makes them think he's saying that because we didn't bring bread with us and we're going to be hungry. And so then Jesus turns to them. And if you look with me in Mark chapter 8, and verse 17, he says this. He says, why do you discuss the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet see or understand? Do you have a hardened heart? Having eyes do you not see and having ears do you not hear? And do you not remember what he's saying is, why do you keep messing up? I've been with you now for a significant amount of time. And so he goes on to say, well, we got 12. What's your point? And he says, well, I broke the seven for the 4,000. He says in verse 20, how many large baskets full of broken pieces did you pick up? And they said to him, seven, what's the point? And in effect, he says, do you not yet understand? And the easy answer, friends, is no. They didn't get it. And so he goes on to explain some more to them, but watch what happens in verse 22. There's a reason, I think, that this miracle shows up here. It's the only two-part miracle that Jesus ever did. And he's going to teach us something about ourselves, about disciples in general, and something that should help us be patient as we persevere with our children. Watch. It says, they came to Bethsaida, and they brought a blind man to Jesus and implored him to touch him. Taking the blind man by the hand, he brought him out of the village, and after spitting on his eyes and laying his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? And he looked up, and he said, well, I see men, for I see them like trees, you know, walking around. In other words, my, 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 my eyesight isn't completely cleared up yet. I don't completely have it yet. It's just like the disciples. They're not really sure who it is they're dealing with. They keep missing on the exact same lesson. They're still learning that what they need for themselves, they get from Jesus. And what they're going to need to do if they're going to serve others, they get from him. They they think that they're going to be scolded because they didn't bring bread. And he goes, don't you realize our lack of bread is never going to be the problem? Your problem is going to be that you look other places than me, maybe to the Pharisees who are going to mess you up to give you what you want for life. No, you need to get that from me. 
What happens in this two-part miracle, the guy at the first says, I I don't really see exactly like I should, but this is a bit of encouragement to you. Right after that, it says, uh, Jesus took him, and he, he laid his hands on his eyes, verse 25, and he looked intently, the man did, and was restored. And that's how you're ultimately restored, is when you keep your eyes focused on Jesus. That's what the disciples had to do. It's right after that that Jesus finally said to them, hey, who do you say that I am? And they kind of start to, you know, dislodge the question by saying who other people say they are, but he's saying, you've got to figure out who I am. All right, we're talking about persevering through failure as a parent. I mean, let me start by just encouraging you with this. The word persevere is a good word for us. It, It comes from two Latin words put together. Per is the prefix, which means through. And then the second part you recognize from the Latin word severus, it means severe or difficult. You have got to persevere. You've got to move through difficulties. You can't eject out. I don't know if you uh, asked yourself, what do you think the most quoted verse is going to be in these couple of days that we're talking about parenting? And you might've thought, well, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he won't depart from it. That would have been a good bet. But I want to tell you the verse that you ought to be reminded of continually is this. Don't grow weary in doing good. For in due time, you will reap if you don't grow weary. There's going to be times that you mess up as parents. It's just going to happen. And there's going to be time that your kids mess up. They don't really see the goodness of God that you're desperate for them to see. The disciples were with Jesus. First of all, let's just say you're a perfect parent. We know that Jesus was a perfect discipler, and you can see the lessons kept going around. These guys were not the sharpest tools in the toolbox, right? They get to the very end of this whole thing. I went to three years. It's the night before. He's about to take off, and he, he's telling them, one of you is going to betray me. And they go, well, man, which one's going to be? You ask him. And he says, okay, the one that I take the bread, and I dip in the cup, and I give it to him, that's the guy. And then it says, he took the bread, he dipped in the cup, and he gave it to Judas. And he says, go and do what you must do. And then Judas leaves, and they go, well, who's going to do it? It always encourages me when I'm looking at an 8-year-old or a 12-year-old or a 16-year-old and going, oh, my goodness. Even when the master teacher was there, steadfast for years, he had to see through the difficult times and entrust them to the Lord and not grow weary in doing good. I love the verse right after that. Galatians 6.10 says this. It says, therefore, while we have still have time, let us do good to all men, especially to those of the household of faith. As parents, we can't stop loving the kids that we've given us. And I want to just encourage you with this. I, I have six kids. I, uh, I'm blessed right now. Uh, four are of college age or older. Another one's about to be a senior, and one is lagging a little bit behind. He's an eighth grader. But he, you know, because he's the youngest of six, is uh, pretty fluent in adult conversation. All of them live right now in Dallas with me. And so what we're doing is we're having family dinners every week. And what's really fun about having family dinners every week is I'm getting right now what you usually only get every other Thanksgiving or every other Christmas, right? When the adult family gets back together and they sit and they start to share stories that they didn't tell you or that happened outside of your purview when you were a kid. So I'm getting them right now kind of live, right? And the high school senior and the eighth grader are kind of like, hey, we're still under, you know, the household here, easy on our stories. But you know what's really funny to me? The stories that they have loved to tell the most have been the times that dad really screwed up. The times I failed as a parent, like the Christmas that the Grinch didn't ruin, I did. 
when they were all, I don't know what their ages were, but they weren't very old, and I had my perfect Christmas sweats on and my nice, nice shirt on. I got my coffee. They were ready. Everything was going great. Kids are opening gifts. One of my boys had a basketball. He's dribbling it once off somebody else's foot. It hits my coffee, kind of gets on me. It stains my perfect little Christmas shirt, and I didn't handle it perfectly. And, uh, and they go, you remember that Christmas? And it's, it didn't last long, right? Uh, it was, uh, it was maybe a, 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 you know, what we would call it, you know, a 10 second kind of, what are you doing? Come on, come on, think, think, think you're supposed to be paying attention over there. And, you know, everybody kind of backed up under the tree like mice and, and, you know, and my wife kind of was, hey, Todd, Todd, whoa, whoa. And let me encourage you with this. Because with every story like that, there's another famous story that my daughter was overseas and she was, you know, studying um, different languages as as she was going through a different semester overseas. And my wife and I went with her and then we were traveling through France and I had rented a car to drive from Paris to Normandy. And we were looking forward to that great day. And uh, it was a brand new with 600 miles on it, Mercedes E-Class, you know, beautiful car. They had made a mistake, so they gave me this car and I'm driving it. And I know it's diesel, right? I had two hours of honor French I slept through in high school. And we get to the gas station, and I don't know if you've been to France much, but in France, sans plume, right? No lead, has green nozzle. And most cars are diesel, and guess what diesel's called in French? Gasol, right? So what's dad do? He puts the, uh, I don't want to put gas in a diesel car. Well, yes, you should have done that. Gasol goes in the diesel car, and I remember going in to you know, Pierre behind the counter. And when he figures out what I did, he goes, oh, bonjour, that is catastrophic. And it was. It was catastrophic. And so they, they tell these stories, all right, about dad and his failures. And I'm encouraged that there's only a few. But when they happened, they were colossal and they are celebrated and remembered and memorialized and retold and Paul bunionized and on and on and on. But I want to encourage you with this. When you fail as a parent, you've got an opportunity to still lead. The scripture says, he who confesses and forsakes his sin will find compassion. But he who conceals it will not prosper. Can I just encourage you guys with this? Hypocrites, parents, you know, um, sometimes ask me this question, what should I do if I really lived a crazy life and my kids ask me questions about what I did before I was married or what I did on spring breaks or how I lived in college? I feel like I'm going to be hypocritical if I tell them not to do something I did. Hypocrites are not people who tell other folks not to sin. Hypocrites are people who, when they sin, say, that wasn't a sin because I did it. You have an opportunity to say, let me tell you something. There's lots of things maybe I did as a mom or dad. For me, it was one Christmas in about a 10 to 15 second flash that I had a moment to confess and forsake and get my kids to go, hey, listen, what just happened right there? In that 10, 15 seconds, you see what happens when leaders don't abide. That was not the spirit of Christ. That was just your daddy, and I need to ask your forgiveness. And I turned that moment into an opportunity to talk about why Christmas is such a great deal for me. I didn't say, hey, well, listen, you just got to be more responsible. I told you all to sit down and watch every other brother or sister open their presents. You're over there being selfish, playing with your present. I didn't justify it. I could have. But I just said, hey, I've got an opportunity. The word confess means to agree. And one of the things that we have to do before our kids sometimes is agree that what they just saw was not what God intended for them. When kids see 
the power of God invade your life, when they see you agree with God in the midst of your failures, not pull out the classic line, don't do what I do, do what I say, right? They're like, man, that's just hypocritical. Because you're saying it's okay for you. And guess what? As soon as I'm out of this household, it's going to be okay for me too. And we wonder why so many kids are jettisoning our faith when they go away to college. And a lot of times it's because they don't see the power of mom and dad being transformed by Christ. They don't see them humble themselves under God's word. Kids don't think their parents should be perfect, but they certainly ought to see their parents understand when they make a mistake that it grieves them. My Bible says that um, all of us are going to mess up. Even the perfect disciple or Jesus had followers that messed up. And he just patiently kept going back over with them the kindness of God. Patience and persistence are necessary attributes of any good teacher. So you need to be patient with yourself, but not overly permissive. To rationalize and justify and verbally explain to your kids why when you do it, it's not as bad as when they do it. Let them see that a righteous man falls seven times and continues to get up. I want to share with you a story that just came across um, my inbox this week that, that, that will encourage you as an example of how God can use even our failures to be our greatest opportunities. I, in fact, I tell people this all the time. The greatest leadership tool I have that Jesus never had that I have seen God powerfully use is the ministry of, will you forgive me? Not, not I'm sorry, see, because I'm sorry still keeps me in control. When I say I'm sorry, I'm making a declaration that if you don't get over it, it's your problem. I said, I'm sorry. You don't just say I'm sorry to your kids. No, you need to get on your knees sometimes as a parent. And you just need to say, hey, listen, what I did was sorry. It's appropriate to say I'm sorry. What I'm saying when I say I'm sorry is I'm declaring that what I did made God sad and it made you sad because sin always breaks relationship. And so what I did was sorry. It wasn't what God intended. And therefore, as I've asked my father for forgiveness and he's given it to me, I need to ask your forgiveness. I forsake that behavior. And I, I, I'm asking you to restore this relationship. I'm, I'm, I'm always going to be your dad. I'm always going to be, you know, your mom. And you're, in some cases, obviously half of us. But, but will you restore the relationship? I'm, I need you to do that because I have done something to break the trust. What I did was sorrowful. I have a, a family that I know that what they did was extremely sorrowful. They, they, um, they didn't love one another well. They weren't faithful in their love. They were headed for divorce and there was a lack of peace in their home. But what they did is they began to acknowledge that they were being selfish and not committed to doing the good that God intended of them, not loving as they had been loved. In fact, they had walked away from that love altogether. And when they began to walk again in humility, through a little ministry that we have called Reengage. Reengage is just a simple uh, ministry that we've created to, to help people whose relationships are broken to reengage with God so they can reengage with each other. And I want to read to you this story. And I'm going to encourage you as a parent that when you fail, it can be your greatest opportunity. I'm going to tell you about a little girl who came from a home that was about to be broken who's not going to leave the faith because she's seen the power of God in restoring a mom and dad. I'll just read it to you. Hey, I want to share a sweet story to you that happened today. Alexia, our 12-year-old, came home from school. just happened. Asked me if we had a card for re-engage. It's, it's a ministry that, that helps people restore their relationship with God so they can restore their relationship with each other. She came home from school asking if we had a card for re-engage for her to bring to a girl at school she met today. 
we asked her, well, why do you want to take her a re-engage card? She's 12. We said, well, I, I, mom, you know, um, here's the deal. This new friend I made, she told me her parents are fighting a lot. In fact, she just heard that her mommy was with another person's daddy and that her brother or sister in her mommy's stomach doesn't come from her biological father. And she's sad, and there's a lot of hard times at home. And mom, I just learned that, that, that if I go through hard times sometimes, that maybe God can use my hard times to help others. And I told her that I had a home like that and that you and daddy had gone to re-engage, had met Jesus, had your relationship restored, and Jesus has brought peace to our home. Read it to you. She said, I told her about your and dad's struggles and how you were fighting and getting divorced and how God helped you to work through your issues and now how we are a happy family together. She told her all about re-engage and told her friend that she needed to take this card home to her mom and dad so that their marriage could be restored the way her family had been restored. She said, the story broke my heart, but I was so encouraged to see that our daughter was using our family's struggles to help others. See, mom and dad, when you fail, because your kids are going to fail, you've got an opportunity to show your kids that failure is not fatal. And when you let Jesus, when you look intently at him, he restores sight. You begin to see rightly so you can walk rightly. And your kids see the power of God. This little girl at her church, okay, this is another friend's church that taken re-engage that we have and is doing it theirs. They say this little girl stands out in front of their church on Sunday mornings and watches people walk up and goes, hey, you guys married? You need to go to re-engage and walk over here. Hey, you married? You need to go to re-engage. Let me just tell you something. This is a little girl who in years 3 through 12, her parents failed. But in year 11 and 12, her parents looked intently at Jesus. And the kids saw the power of God to restore. Your kids are going to fail. Even in your failure, you can see that God can be up. Do not grow weary in doing good. And there is nothing better than to running towards our Savior. Thanks for listening to the ERLC podcast. To subscribe, visit ERLC.com or you can check us out on Apple Podcasts or Google Play. And join us next week as we start listening to inspiring content from our historic MLK50 conference.